Welcome to Tranos and the Lived Experience, a podcast confronting current events, politics, comedy, and calamity, all from the perspective of a trans titaness. She's a verbal black belt, skilled in the art of roasting, the hellmouth, doomsayer, CEO of the Amazon position. Here's your host, Cameron Ellen Terrell. My name is Cameron Ellen Durrell, and this is Tranos and the Lived Experience, the show that's fed up with your shit. Let's get into it. Um, Rochester back at it again with that clan energy. Young nine-year-old girl was pepper sprayed by police today um, for what some are calling her taking too long to calm down while in crisis. Um, there is a 16-minute clip of a young nine-year-old child whose name was not disclosed for her own safety, who was on the scene of a domestic dispute call uh, where she was, um, from what I'm reading, she witnessed her mom try to stab her father. And in the video, you can hear her mom in the background screaming some very horrible things. And um, coming from a violent home as a youth, my uh, dad used to attack my mom and it kind of molded me and um at 40 years old some of the things I've seen happen to my mother still kind of haunt me so I can relate to what this little girl was feeling so um in the video you also see that there are seven to nine police officers surrounding this girl um she is in visible crisis and should be in a situation where she's being counseled, where her feelings are being de-escalated, where she's being helped to regulate. And what's happening is officers in Rochester, New York, home of the slain, typically doing what they do, which is brutalizing, masculinizing, and aging up little black girls. So you can hear one of the officers actually, during this whole debacle, uh, yell at the nine-year-old, you're acting like a child. Goofy ass nigga, she's nine, she is a child. The fuck is wrong with you? Like, police officers in Rochester, New York have a history of brutality, and uh, the community here, the black community here, has been pretty fed up with it. Um, ever since, like, the Blue Ribbon Committees in 1975, a young teenage uh, mother was attacked by her husband, and in self defense, she slashed his face with a knife um, and tried to exit her apartment on Thurston Avenue. And when she exited the apartment, the husband at the time uh, willingly screamed, um, she's coming out, she has a knife. And upon her exit, she was met by two police officers who um, before assessing anything, two police officers with firearms, they screamed, put down the knife. She took an additional step. Um, Some witnesses said as to uh, put the knife down and she was shot in the chest. There was a public outcry for justice, seeing as though, like, the de-escalation tactics of Rochester police officers, even back in 1975, were non-existent. Uh, Both cops were tried and exonerated of charges, and that began the Thurston Avenue um, uprising, or what most white people around here like to call the race riot. There's an empty field still to this day. I'm not sure if they put a Rite Aid in it where this occurred. March 30th of last year, Daniel Prude was pretty much 
murdered by the police and it was covered up by Mayor Lovely Warren and um, Chief Singletary. I don't know if we should call him Chief anymore, seeing as though he like resigned to like save his pension after being thrown under a bus by Lovely Warren. Um, somebody check his back, check for tracks. The outcry for reform of police officers is literally older than I am in Rochester. It's, it, it has existed in this space longer than I have. And it's just kind of off-putting. Now let's talk about this energy on the internet because even now uh, in 2021 where everybody's screaming like, oh, Biden's the president now. What's really happening is uh, we put too much uh, faith in politicians to change things that we have the power to change. If you skim through Facebook and you look this up and you click on any article you find regarding this, it'll kind of show you the demographic that we're living in currently as brown people in Rochester. Taking away the effect of my intersectionality and being a trans woman of color in the city would just adds more of a, a disgusting edge to the things that I read. Um, white people, y'all need to get it together. A lot of white Rochesterians will go completely out of their way to justify the harm of a brown person, even a child. There are some comments on Facebook where gentlemen, I'm not, I'm not gonna call them gentlemen, fuck boys are making comments about a nine-year-old not being able to control her emotions about police officers being under attack by a person that's like weighs less than 80, 90 pounds in, in view. Um, the child is clearly crying out for their father, asking for help, um, very afraid. And let, let's get to the, the root of that problem. As black children, I grew up in, I was born in 1980. Um, I'm 40 years old, a seasoned veteran of the trans experience. And, um, as far back as I can remember, the cops were the boogeyman for me. Um, back in the 80s, um, during Mayor Johnson's run here, there used to be these things um, called jump outs. And they were pretty much headed up by the Locust Club uh, police union president. Where these, um, who is in, still in power now currently, he's one of the most corrupt police officers to ever exist. I'm not even going to say his fucking name because I don't want to invoke that kind of bullshit on me. Um, these black fans used to pull into the neighborhood and we would be playing outside. And I lived on the west side of town at the time. Um, we pretty much had just moved here like two years before. And I remember playing outside with my twin brother and us seeing like this van just kind of like weaving in and out of our street and like going up and down and kind of circling the block. And like, I mean, I get it. Like a lot of people don't understand how gangs came to be, but the stigma of being seen as a gangster or being wearing, or being seen wearing the wrong kind of clothing or listening to the wrong kind of music or talking the wrong kind of way around police officers in the 80s warranted black fans pulling up and abducting brown people. There's some, uh, this happened a lot, um, uh, as far back as I can remember as of living in Rochester and didn't really stop until I was in like my early teens, uh, this black man, you would hear people scream, it's to jump out and people would start running. And if you weren't in your yard, you were pretty much open season. If you were on the sidewalk or in the street, you could just be snatched up by police officers. And sometimes we would never see those people again. I still to this day don't know where they went. And it is ingrained in children in Rochester, New York, to have a, 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 a brown children, to have a, a respectful amount of fear of police. They're not to be trusted. Um, you should never be alone with one. You should never answer any of their, their questions. Um, 
you should one um make sure that you're doing like a check of yourself as you're leaving your home uh certain things that you won't don't want to be caught with like anything that could be seen as paraphernalia anything that might be shaped or look like a gun don't put your phone in your back pocket don't reach your hands in your pocket when you're around police officers this is part of the conversation that adults have with their children um going back as far as i can remember and even farther in history there's been a, a national debate about white privilege and here's one of the benchmarks of knowing that you have white privilege if you've never when i say the talk to you and you think about the birds and the bees you're not black if i say uh the statement did your parents ever have the talk with you and the first idea that springs into your head is like oh you didn't mean to talk about sex then you're not brown because when i say the talk amongst amongst rochesterian brown people we will all tell you, or we will all answer the same way. Oh, you mean how to respond to police presence or how to respond to police interaction? Yeah, those that conversation is a conversation that brown people are having. A benchmark of white privilege is never having to even think about that conversation with your kids. And let's be um, totally honest. Kids are um, not off the table when it comes to brutality in the, in the black community when it comes to police officers. Police officers don't have a problem with brutalizing children either. Um, the history in Rochester of police officers bullying uh, minors is just as extensive as them killing people. Uh, the corruption when it comes to these cases is steeped in racism, just steeped in it. And uh, to skip back to what I was saying, um, jump out vans and um, uh, raids, like no-knock raids, were a, a thing, uh, a tool consistently used in the 80s. And here we are in 2021, and we're still dealing with arguments over uh, no-knock raids and brutality on the bodies of brown children. And what you can get from social media is just a general gist of if anybody's ever walking around here saying that racism doesn't exist, all one needs to find it is a computer, a cell phone. Anything that can log on to any of your daily apps that you use, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, <laughs> LinkedIn, Reddits. Uh, Reddits is a hotbed for racists. They love shit like that. They love 4chan. They love Reddits. They love anything that they can stream together racism and, theory and strange theories. Um, let me... I'm not going to do something. I'm going to do something uh, a little different today. We're going to read and... Um, kind of just react to some of the comments that you might uh, you you might skim over if you are a privileged person um i'm gonna give give me one second to cue this up it's uh really uh my heart's beating really fast because i um i am completely affected uh by this uh, kind of violence, I'm kind of sick of turning on the TV and seeing my people being brutalized. And if it's not my people, uh, my race, it's trans people being brutalized. And if it's not trans people br being brutalized, now it's children. And Rochester's ability, Rochesterians, upper middle class, low key racist Rochesterians have the uncanny ability to modify the narrative of a person and humanize them within seconds. 
Here's one. A nine-year-old having a mental issue uh, is handcuffed, pepper sprayed uh, by angry adult mob smashing windows at a Capitol building. Please come right in. So the comparison uh, of uh, people saying that a girl who was in mental crisis obviously was traumatized by the events that happened that day. She wasn't allowed to be shaken or traumatized. But I, I promise you, if she was a little white girl and she visioned and, and, and she was visited by that interaction uh, or, the, or those um, actions that day, she would have been coddled, babied. Uh, she probably would end up on some talk show something or something being told how strong she was and what a hero she was for seeing something so ugly and, 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 and feeling human feelings about it. This little nine-year-old girl is not allowed to have feelings. She's not allowed to be traumatized. She's not allowed to be a child in the eyes of some of these like really, really disgusting commenters on Facebook. And there's really some bad ones on Twitter. Before I pass judgment, I need to know what exactly she was doing to the police officers. I don't think police officers would hurt a child without reason. I'm not going to read the names of these people because I'm not in the mood to get sued by these assholes. But like, just think about the, the level of, of mental gymnastics you have to do to search for a reason for a child to be harmed. Where they do that at? I'll tell you where they do that at. They do that shit in Rochester, New York. It is literally, uh, 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 garbage plates uh and racist justifications here it's it's literally what this place is it's sickening to call myself a rochesterian in times like this um all summer long there were the daniel prude uh protests which people just hold on to coming calling the virus and there was such there was such an outcry for uh protesters to be ran over or harmed or or arrested for exercising their rights and then we get like people like the insurrectionists who are bursting windows and searching for people to murder and there's complete silence in rochester like you almost hear crickets and whenever a brown person speaks up about how they feel about the insurrection, immediately we are accused of being Antifa. We are part of BLM. We are terrorists and we are uh, we are uh, race baiters. That is a term that is consistently ran around uh, um, um, the fucking water cooler in Rochester. Now, if you ever. This is a, I know this is a very serious episode. You waiting for a punchline, but I ain't got none, baby. If you ever come to Rochester, as a brown person, I would suggest you go somewhere else. First off, why would you come to Rochester? There's absolutely nothing of value here um, outside of things that they probably won't let you into. The Museum of Play, uh, the uh, Planetarium. Uh, it's, it's COVID time pretty much. So just don't travel. But if you were going to travel and then let's just say we were beyond the pandemic and you were looking at a map and you were like, Hey, where's a nice place to go? Um, just to like get away from where I am. Don't come here. Not as a Brown person. Um, white middle-class low key racist Rochesterians find it very easy to dehumanize brown people here we we have to deal with it in our schools we have to deal with it in everyday life we have to deal with it in our jobs we have to deal with it on the internet and uh this place is kind of touted as being um a very liberal city but that's 
only in performative like like scans like a lot of stuff that you see this being put out here is just for appearance to the outside world rochester is one of um the is in the top 10 of cities that are terrible to live in as a brown person and that's not a lie i'm not making that up you can google that and you'll be able to find it on your own rochester is not very safe if you are a brown person it is not very equitable if you're a, a brown person um you hear things thrown around like recidivism and and us being criminals and and our ch our children our children are given these tropes as well now there's an episode in the catalog called trope dope and i kind of explain how tropes work in rochester not that they work any differently anywhere else but the premise of a trope is to dehumanize the person so the trope that black people are animals and are um uh, irrational and aggressive is even visited on little girls uh in the video um i cried watching it there's a desperation in that little girl's voice that's all too familiar to me. Crying out for someone to care, crying out um, for her dad. Now, here's the question. In my other life, when I'm not podcasting and trying to get this money, I'm a mental health facilitator. I uh, work as a direct support specialist, and I primarily work with people who have intellectual disabilities, um, behavioral defects. I've worked with murderers. I've worked with pedophiles. I've worked with um, people who have had like disassociation disorders, um, anger disorders, those kind of things. So I've had chairs thrown at me. I've been spit at. I've been bit. Um, I've almost been stabbed a couple of times. I've been stalked. And in my 10 years um, doing that, I've never managed to be in a situation where I had to get physical with anyone. Literally, my job's description is that I am a de-escalator. I walk into a situation that seems unfathomable to most people. You don't go to work like the, the average worker in Rochester doesn't go to work thinking that, hey, I have to protect myself from physical violence and a possible psychotic breakdown for at least eight hours a day. And I'm really good at my job because de-escalation is something that I required a lot when I was a child. I have um, CPTSD. I also have a dissociation disorder, which was caused by childhood traumas. Now, I understand that this event, just this single event is enough trauma to, to change that little girl's life forever. And looking back 30, like 31 years to when I was uh, nine years old, um, I don't, it doesn't need to be a lot of physical impact. Uh, we got a, a, a nine-year-old girl being pushed to the ground, held down by her head in the snow by two grown-ass white men. Um, her, there's no care. There's no de-escalation. They didn't even know her name. They didn't even know her name. They saw a child in complete crisis, and they went to uh, threat mode. She's oh she was automatically a threat. Now um you'll hear some people arguing that she kicked the police officer, but this little girl is ninety pounds at most, and she's um being held by both her arms. She's being pushed to the ground. She's calling for her father. She doesn't understand why she's being touched. She doesn't understand why she's being hurt. She says several times that you're hurting me, and they just don't stop. They're just kind of brutalizing her, pushing her up against the car, trying to get handcuffs on her. They're twisting her wrist. It's all kinds of stuff happening. And you can see as the camera's like kind of floating back and forth that they, she's literally surrounded by police officers, all white police officers. 
It's literally like a, a woke person's worst nightmare being subjected to force that you're too small to ward off. And hearing her voice and hearing that desperation and then thinking about my daily work, I, um, I can't disclose where I've worked because there's a protection act and there's HIPAA laws, but I can, uh, vaguely touch on some things that I've had to deal with. Um, there was a situation where I came to work and I am, um, I'm a specialist. So there's like, I, I consistently deal with crisis moments, like over, like over dramatic, large crisis moments that be, can be caused by a plethora of things. A sensory overload can be caused by the loss of something, can be caused by a triggering, a holiday, a birthday. Uh, I walked into my job one morning, it was a Wednesday morning, and um, as I'm walking in, I'm clocking in, I'm turning the corner, I work, I worked at a day program. As I'm turning the corner, I hear everybody going, just, just stay back, just stay back. And I hear a lot of people rumbling that this person has a weapon. I'm not gonna disclose who they are. Uh, they had a very sharp kitchen knife that they weren't supposed to have access to. And they have a system in the Justice Center, which in New York State, you have to answer to the Justice Center. If there is an incident where um, you have to physically restrain or stop a person, it has to be well documented. It has to be timed. And, uh, everything that you do needs to be explained and everything you need you do needs to be done by a certain procedure, a certain way. Or you can end up catching a charge and later on being charged with a criminal case and also being blackball from the profession if you catch a certain level of charges um, stemming from physical restraints or um, medical restraints or, or, or um, a physical assault anything of that kind you will lose your job you will go to jail and when you get out of jail you will not be eligible to work at these places so now i'm turning the corner the um, young man um, has a huge butcher knife in his hand and everybody's kind of panicking and this person doesn't really talk they're um, nonverbal and that's what I specialize in I can have conversations with nonverbal people um, and I can relate to them in a way that most people can't because I've been the deer in the headlights I've been the id surrounded by uncertainty so I walk into the room I sit down Everyone else is kind of standing, their hands are up. Everyone's kind of got an aggressive, like ready to pounce pose. I walk into the midst of whatever is going on. Now this person's not assigned to me. No one's called me yet, but I, I feel this deep calling to de-escalate this thing before it becomes something that could possibly harm someone. I, I remember certain things about everyone when I meet them because it's part of my job is to get to know an individual, to get to know what makes them tick, get to know the things that they like, get to know the things that trigger them, and then find a way to teach them a coping skill through modeling it. So what I did was I sat down uh, with my palms up and I just kind of looked at the person and I kind of just sh showed them that like my facial expressions aren't aggressive. I'm not going to make any moves without them. Um, without their approval, I'm not going to touch them. Now you're not going to be harmed. Um, you're looking at me and it's just silent. Everybody's just kind of standing around us. And they're just looking and they're waiting. Everybody's waiting to pounce. And I kind of just like, I, I keep one hand open on my, on my lap. And I turn to everyone and I kind of shoo them back a little bit. And I put my hand back where it was. And I say in the softest tone, I just want to listen to what you need. I just need to hear what you need. I know you're afraid. I know this is a really frustrating thing. Um, I asked exactly, hey, can you can you point to me and tell me what where this started? And this person like literally started thinking and like kind of like 
their posture started to kind of like relax and they started pointing to what was happening. And uh, I said, would you like to write down what happened? Can you write it for me? Do you want to draw a picture of what happened? I gave them a piece of paper. I gave them a pen. I sat back down. I placed my hands back up, palms facing the sky. I continued to talk to them and they put the knife down. I opened my arms. They came right to me. We hugged each other and it was over. That took all of five minutes, all of five minutes. A crisis can go on for hours if you escalate it. If you add fuel to a fire, it grows. And in this video, this child is being uh, expected uh, to act like an adult in a situation that she has never been in before. How many people, by show of hands, I know you think that I can't see you, but I'm all seeing. Show of hands, how many people have seen their mother almost kill their father? Oh, just her? Oh, and me? Okay, so um, a nine-year-old is supposed to process that and then act like what? A 40-year-old? A police officer is handcuffing this young lady and she, he, he's pulling her into the car from one side. The other officer is telling her, you need to calm down. You're acting like a child. They're both yelling at her. They're like, just mace her. Just mace her. I don't have time for this. And my question is, what were you in such a rush for? If you got a call to come to a situation like this and you weren't prepared to put in the time to de-escalate it and be the the civil servant that you swore to be when you put that fucking badge on well here's where i i have a problem here's the disconnect the disconnect with officers in rochester is none of them are here to protect a goddamn thing besides property they put their hands on a book and they raise their right hand and they swear that they're going to protect us but really what they're protecting is property they're protecting property um for white people from brown people they don't want us in lots of spaces. And whenever our voices get raised or we stand up to someone, police show up. And they're not there to de-escalate or figure out what's going on or even advocate for the rights of a person, especially not a brown person. What they're there to do is get a collar and move the fuck on. And that's just about it. That's the, the, the gist of it. And the problem with us consistently asking for uh, police reform in Rochester is the history of us asking for uh, police reform started, didn't start in 1975, but the most pivotal point was 1975. And it's 2021, and we're still asking for the same shit. And for some reason, people don't understand that defund the police doesn't mean get rid of them. It means stop weaponizing them against citizens. Take some of their budget and put it into infrastructure. Take some of the budget because police officers in Rochester, New York, have a huge budget. It's huge. It's literally millions of dollars a year. Like I think uh, last budget, they got something around like uh, $72 million. If we simply took $15 million of those dollars and put it into the neighborhoods around all these police stations, if we if we paid case managers if we paid people who were uh trained in uh in de-escalation to actually train these police officers because if you go to other countries and you ask a police officer what their training was finland sweden germany all these other places they require a two-year degree and they require at least two years of training while getting that degree 
of Rochester, New York's police officers only need uh, less than 20 weeks of training. And the training does not consist of de-escalation. In 20 weeks, you are literally trained and weaponized to see citizens as the enemy. It's a us versus them mentality that's constantly being promoted here. And even in the demographic of the police itself, most of them don't even come from here. Most of them have not lived within the city limits their entire life. So when they step into this, they view it as some jungle and we're all predators that they're either hunting or defending themselves from. It's not that same feeling you get when you watch uh, Leave It to Beaver where you see a police officer walking around and talking to the citizens and being part of the community. If you police a place that's foreign to you, you can't help but think that you're in a war zone. If you don't know the people around you, if you don't know how they talk, if you don't know the culture, if you don't know the vernacular is going on, there can easily be a misunderstanding. And there is no part of the training into police force and RPD that teaches you any of that shit. And then when our voices rise up, when these kind of things happen, which is literally like every five years, we have some huge incident. Not saying that there's, there's a five year lull, just saying that there is a huge incident every five years since 1975. And we keep going and we keep marching and we keep protesting and we keep getting treated like animals. And the, 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 the common comment from our white counterparts is either placation and performance or it's complete justification of what happened. Uh, these are the times where they open the books and they crack it and they go, oh, you stole a milk from middle school when you were in sixth grade. You deserve to die. Oh, you cried for longer than 15 minutes. You deserve to be maced. You exited a violent altercation where you had to defend yourself from an attacker and you were shot. Rochester's in the news again, back at it again with that clan energy. Rochester has like big clan energy, big clan energy. Um, this is not New York City. Um, had some conversations in the past with a love and Felicia, um, uh, shout out to NQO, shout out to the screw. Uh, we had conversations about this where we kind of just sit around cause, um, I mean, literally they're my only outlet outside of uh, Rochester, New York, because it's pandemic season here. If Rochester is the country, what we talked about is how, when you go other places and you say Rochester, New York, people assume that we're like far Rockaway or that we're like fucking Brooklyn or that we're like fucking the Bronx. No, we're six hours. We're six hours West of New York, six hours Northwest of New York. And, um, it's literally like we're um, an hour boat ride across from Canada. We are in the sticks. We are surrounded by farms. And we are the only blue part of this part of New York. Everything else around us is red. So we got militias. We got new age clan members. We got proud boys walking around Rochester. We have a blatant turfs. Like every... Discriminatory, uh, discriminatory thing that you could find in Rochester, New York, is literally a stone's throw. Rochester is only 37 miles across. And in 37 miles across, most of that population in the middle 
poverty-stricken places is brown people, and that's due to segregation and redlining. Most of the suburbs that exist in this area weren't in existence to the 60s. And what happened in that time was infrastructure was white flight. Oh, shit. A black family moved into this area, and they got money. And I don't want to live around that because one black person is going to bring the property value down or it's going to bring more black people here. So what we're going to do is we're going to move to the sticks and we're going to take all our tax paying money and theirs and we're going to build villages that they can never come to. We're going to build schools that are better than theirs and we're not going to allow their children to come to it. We're going to put police at the borders of the city limits to make sure that if they drive past it that they're going to have to meet with the police and there's definitely going to be an arrest for some reason or another. And what we also have to do is we have to make sure that we crush the hopes and dreams of children so they never dream of being where we are. The gap, the financial gap, the, um, the redlining, the uh, lack of in infrastructure, these are how ghettos are made. And when ghettos exist, strife exists. And when strife exists, pain and, and loss exists and trauma is formed and that's how you get into a situation where a nine-year-old girl almost witnesses her mother kill her father and then she is further traumatized by the people that are supposed to protect her and i don't know how far down you have to fall to justify that but i'll never get there if that little girl was white i would feel the same amount of anguish towards the police but because she's black i am not surprised by the way everybody's reacting to it i'm not surprised by how white people are acting to it because it's almost like this sense of white guilt activates in monroe county that's where i live and monroe county is saturated with white guilt all you have to do to get a white person upset is mention a factual point in history that coincides with how there has been minimal progress when it comes to police brutality in this city. And you will be called every name in the book and they will fall back on every trope that they've ever heard. They will spout Fox News things and then they will end their sentences with, I'm not racist. Now, I know I wanted to read some of those comments. I only read two because that's literally all I can stomach. The safety of that little girl wasn't paramount because in the eyes of white, male, uh, chauvinistic, like, and problematic white female police officers, she wasn't even seen as a child. She was treated like a criminal adult. Um, what she had just witnessed was never took, taken into consideration. Crisis calls in Rochester seemed to get black people harmed. Daniel Prude was killed during a crisis intervention call. This little girl was brutalized for witnessing a crime, not committing one, witnessing a crime. Then she was manhandled and because she kicked an officer while trying to figure out what the fuck was going on around her. There are hordes of problematic white men sitting in front of their computers at the same time this is being recorded, writing long ass diatribes about how hard the job of being a police officer is. And as a DSP who has to deal with crisis intervention on a larger scale, 
on an everyday basis, I have to answer to more accountability if something happens at my job than any police officer who has ever worn a badge in this city. Not to mention the fact that because of the election and the holidays, everybody tried to speed past Daniel Prude's murderers still kind of walking around. Just being allowed to retire from jobs and being demoted. You murdered a person. Tell me what other profession you get to walk into work, murk a motherfucker, and then your boys get to investigate what you did. Tell me. Tell me another profession where you get to do that shit. Tell me another profession where a police union literally just pops up. Well, a union in general just pops up and protects you from federal and state charges. Can you steal a forklift at your job and be exonerated by your by your colleagues? Can you uh Kill an animal at a vet's office and not catch a charge. See, the thing is, there would be more of an outcry in Rochester, New York, if a pit bull would have been maced by a cop. Because white people love dogs. They love animals more than us. They will seek compassion for a squirrel. Or a, or an animal hit by a car would get more compassion than this little girl crying for her daddy for 16 minutes. Fuck you, Rochester. <laughs> like, like, get your shit together. The clan energy is too fucking high. And um, just a couple of weeks off the backs of an insurrection where everybody's still trying to talk about um, the justification of it while also telling brown people not to protest for human rights is just disgusting here um in my naivety as a child i used to love this city and as i grow older um and i i, I experience more and i'm able to actually process and absorb the things that are consistently going on around me i see a pattern here and that pattern is not conducive to the safety of my person or my people my heart goes out um to that little girl and i hope that she's getting the help that she needs and i hope that she is going to get the defense that she needs and I hope that all you bitch ass police officers who decided that you didn't have time to do your fucking job. I hope for once in this fucked up city's history that there is some real accountability. I hope you all lose your jobs. I hope that you all of you can never go to another police department because we know that's what you guys do. You harm a person or you break a protocol and then you're moved to a different precinct instead of fired. I hope you all lose your jobs. I hope you all lose your livelihood. Um, I hope that this kind of violence is visited on your own family. Um, and not by my hands. I hope that karma seeks you out and, and does what she does. Um, because she'll work faster and more diligently than the police jurisdictions and the, the court systems of Monroe County. They let y'all slide on bullshit all the time. 
cops sexually assaulting black women by the boatloads. Uh, there was an officer, um, I want to say it was a, less than 10 years ago in Rochester. He was a Greece police officer who who had charges for um, brutality and um, excessive force when he was a city police officer. So he was moved to the Greece district where he promptly started raping brown people during pullover stops. And he did this for years. And there was constant complaints about it. And the only thing that stopped it from happening was he forgot to turn his camera off. This was right around the time where they started putting um, cameras on cars and like having the precinct keep control of those. Those are the cameras that you couldn't show, shut off. And he left. He did what he did in front of a camera. He was finally heard. Um, a proposition in a person threatening them and blackmailing them from things stemming from a light being out or uh, running a red light to a sexual assault. And he was finally stopped because it was on camera and it was undeniable. Then now here we are in 2021 and we watch a 16 minute video that shows undeniably that police officers are not equipped to, to de-escalate the simplest things, not even things that have to do with children. This little girl didn't have a weapon. She wasn't walking around with a gun. She didn't have a knife. She didn't commit an actual crime before there was any police contact. She literally stated that she was in crisis. I to, to what, what I've heard is that she um, made a proclamation of wanting to commit suicide, which most people would in that situation. Um, a person as a person who suffers um, from suicidal ideation, um, I get visions of. Um, how I would do it. And I have to work myself through those situations to realize that what I'm going through is a temporary ill that doesn't need a permanent um, end. And I have to talk myself through that. But I'm 40 years old. It took lots of training and therapy and awareness to get to that level to where I wasn't being hysterical or having a breakdown or a fearful of that thought process, but actually knowing what it was, knowing that it is a diagnosis that I have, that it is an illness brought on by trauma that I will have to face for the rest of my life. She is nine. She does not know that. We're not saying that she has an illness, but we're saying when you make a proclamation of suicide, you are under duress. And a nine-year-old black girl in Rochester doesn't have the luxury of being under duress is what the uh, Quinsuolcha oppressor or uh, colonizers are... um, that's what they're passing around now to justify the harm of her. Black women all start off as black girls. And we know for certain that black women are disrespected at just as higher rate, are murdered at just as higher rate by police officers as black men. But rarely there's an uproar for when it happens. Rarely. Uh, Brianna Taylor's death uh, brought that sentiment back to the table where we had to start having that conversation about why don't we have conversations surrounding the deaths of black women like we do black men. Daniel Prude 
and Breonna Taylor's deaths brought about um, the push of the need, the, the need for a more active BLM, the need for more active allies. And in this moment, there was um, a protest downtown today and everyone was up in arms about how the protest wasn't needed and it's too much and we complain over the smallest things. So let's let's have a history lesson. Um, Rochester police officers in the last 25 years have harmed more than 3,000 brown people. I don't know exactly off the top of my head how many of those are murders, but I know there have been beatings. I know there have been frisk, stop and frisk. I know there has been harassment. I know there has been sexual assaults. I know there has been bullying. I know there has been policing, uh, share, like a uh, police sheriffing of white neighborhoods to make sure that brown people are where they belong. I know that they show up faster to a situation if you mention that the person is black. I know that police officers in Rochester show up prepared for violence when they hear that the person is black. Even, even if the person who um, called the police is black, you could possibly be harmed for asking for help from Rochester police officers. Rochester Police Department, you get an F for constantly being on some bullshit. Rochester um, uh, uh, allies um, who are in this actual fight for the right reasons, um, you don't deserve a pat on the back. I know somebody was waiting for me to say thank you for being allies, but you don't deserve a pat on the back for human decency. And if you joined the fight for that purpose, get the fuck out. It takes absolutely nothing to see another human being and value them as a human being. It takes absolutely nothing. And to turn on your computer, sit down for your morning coffee and see a little girl be brutalized for 16 minutes and then immediately skim it and see thousands of comments about how she was wrong and she deserved what she got and those police officers were only doing their job. You show me in the code, you show me after the text to protect and serve where it says to brutalize children and brown people. Because that's literally what they get paid to do lately around here. Lovely Warren is running for office again and she invoked Daniel Prude's name like she didn't cover up his murder. The leader of the police union is a uh, historically racist, problematic, violent person who in a press conference today tried to justify the mental duress police officers are in from showing up to those kind of calls. So... We're, we're, we're more worried about police officers who choose to put on a badge and walk into these areas and deal with these problems than we are for, with children. Not once was were these officers criticized for their maturity level and how they did, didn't handle the situation at all. But this little girl was criticized for crying too much, for taking too long to calm down. She was pepper sprayed in the face 
her um, arms were pulled over her head from behind while handcuffed, which we all know is a tactic that police officers use to choke people. She was dragged into a car. She was maced again. They closed the doors and they let her sit in it. They didn't wipe her eyes. They didn't provide her any kind of relief. They didn't provide any kind of de-escalation. They didn't even ask her what was wrong. Nobody tried to contact the caseworker. Nobody tried to invoke what was going on with the whole reform thing that Mayor Warren was talking about. And then she gets up the next morning and gets on this podium and gets on her soapbox and talks like she gives a fuck about what's happening to us. Mind you, I'm going to say it again. You covered up a whole murder. So with that being said, because I've went on a little bit too long and I know a lot of people are expecting jokes, but this is not a laughing matter. And I don't find I found it very important to um, make my opinion of what's going on in this place known and um I promise you uh, there'll be more episodes with, with happy fun times and, and lots of interviews, but I felt the need to throw my hat into the ring and say what needs to be said. Uh, Rochester, you back at it again with that clan energy. Won't you guys step out of the 1950s and, and, and come to 2021 and, 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 and come with some fucking sense? If you're still using color as a justification to dehumanize a person, you are archaic and you should just forfeit from society. Find some place to be since y'all like us, like being separated so much. Separate yourself from us. This has been Tranos in the lived experience. My name is Tranos and this is the show that will live to see the end of racism.